Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this opportunity to gather and worship you corporately. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to have open and receptive hearts. Help us to just uh, allow your Holy Spirit to have its way, Lord. Whatever you want to speak into our lives tonight, we pray that we'll receive it and obey it. And um, whatever your Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us, Lord, we pray that we'll step aside, that we would surrender uh, to you. And I pray for the gift of teaching, Lord, to help me to rightly divide your word of truth. We do pray for a timely word and that you would help us to be more effective in our walk. Help us to be more effective in the work of the ministry. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. Be glorified tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, so we're going to study um, or continue our study in Second Samuel. And we're going to pick up in chapter 8. And some Bible scholars believe that chronologically, uh, the events that we'll see in chapter 8 actually occurred uh, between chapters 6 and 7. And that's because, uh, for example, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7 verse 1 indicates uh, that the events, um, or it indicates that the Lord had given David um, some rest from his enemies the enemies who were all around him. And so it was a time of rest for David from his foes um, at the beginning of chapter 7 in Second Samuel. And so when, when Bible scholars look at that, um, you know, some believe that once again chapter 8 or the events of chapter 8 actually happened between chapters 6 and 7. But whatever the case, it's in the Word of God, which means it's important. And, and so... In chapter 8, what we're going to see is, of course, more war, which is, or it seems like another hint that maybe chapter 8 happened before chapter 7. So we're going to see more war in 2 Samuel chapter 8. And as usual, we do have a title for the study. And the title, of course, is A Thriving Kingdom. A Thriving Kingdom. And so we're going to see what a thriving kingdom looks like, literally, and we're going to see what a thriving kingdom looks like spiritually. So those are some of the spiritual nuggets that we want to uh, glean from the message today. And so I would encourage you all to be in prayer about what we'll learn. And, And the prayer is that whatever we learn, will help us to reach our full potential in Christ, which is, of course, our theme for um, this study in 2 Samuel. And so we do want to turn our attention to verse 1 in 2 Samuel chapter 8. It says, After this, after this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and he subdued them. And David took Metheg Amah from the hand of the Philistines. And so Metheg Amah 
many believe this is referring to Gath. And this is because of what it says in First Chronicles chapter 18, verse 1. And by the way, you can read First Chronicles chapter 18 um, if you want to see another version of what we're looking at here in Second Samuel chapter 8. So once again, First Chronicles chapter 18, if you want just some fill-in information um, of this study tonight. But getting back to Gath or Metheg Amma, this was the Philistines' chief city. And so notice that David took their chief city from them, of course, with his army. And then in verse 2, it says he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. It says that he measured them off with a line or a length of rope. And with two lines or with every two cord lengths, he measured off those to be put to death. And with one full line or one full length, those to be kept alive. One translation puts it this way, or one version puts it this way. Those who were measured within two rope lengths were killed, but those who were within the next rope length were allowed to live. And so it was like two rope lengths, you guys are going to die. The next one rope length, you guys get to live and so forth. It seemed... Uh, and, and it's in my mind that, that maybe this pattern were to repeat. So two rope lengths, one rope length, right? And so, you know, that's the way um, David was doing it here. And it doesn't say anything of this is how the Lord was leading him, but that's how he was doing it when it came to um, his defeat of the Moabites. And it says, so the Moabites, of course, that would be the surviving ones, they became David's servants and they brought tribute. And David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, which is located in the north of Israel or to the north of Israel. And it says, as he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. And he, as one translation seemed to indicate, could refer to Hadadezer. So in other words, one translation indicates that Hadadezer is the one who was going up to recover or restore his territory or control at the Euphrates. First uh, Chronicles um, 18 verse 3 puts it this way. It says, as he went to establish his power by the river Euphrates. So that's what Hadadezer went to do. And, and, and verse 4 of Second Samuel chapter 8, it says that David took from him, he took from Hadadezer 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Now, now here's where you go to First Chronicles again for fill-in information. Uh, because the 700 horsemen is actually more like 7,000 horsemen. And you'll find that in First Chronicles chapter 18. Verse 4, so I, didn't, I would encourage you on your own time to read First Chronicles 18. Uh, but it also says, as we continue in verse 4, that David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. And so he cut the tendon, he cut the tendon behind the, or above the hoof of those horses. Um, and I don't think he was just being cruel, 
to those animals just for the sake of cruelty. But, but I think he was hindering, it appears that he was hindering the soldiers of his enemies. But he would go along um, with keeping a um, hundred of them alive for 100 chariots. And then in verse 5 it says, When the Syrians or the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, the king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons. He put these groups of troops in Syria or Aram of uh, Damascus. And the Syrians or these Arameans became David's servants. And they brought tribute. And so the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And that's where I want to park. That's what I want to talk about. Because once again, it says, David was preserved by the Lord wherever he, David, went. And that word preserved in the Hebrew language means to be, it means to save, be saved, be delivered. But then it gets specific when you look up the definition in Hebrew. It can mean also to be saved, that is, to be saved in battle or be victorious. And so in other words, uh, the Lord saved David in battle or, or helped him to be victorious wherever he went. And I want to park there because that, that same God that preserved David, that, that, that kept him safe in battle, that kept him safe in his life, the, the same God that gave him victory in his warfare wherever he went is that same God who's been keeping us safe. He is that same God who's been giving us victory over and over again. Maybe it's been some type of victory over our flesh because we do have a sin nature. We still have a sin nature even as a believer. And that sin nature won't go away, by the way, until you receive your glorified bodies. And when you receive your glorified bodies, your your spiritual body, that, that body that is incorruptible, When you receive that body, you won't be able to sin. You won't want to sin because you won't even have a sin nature. You see, this body that we have right now, this non-glorified body that we have right now, it is is made in the image of the first man, Adam. Uh, But the glorious body, the glorified body or resurrected bodies that we receive later on will be molded or will come from or shaped after Jesus Christ, the last Adam. And so whatever Adam messed up, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, the perfect man, he fixed even within our bodies. And so, beloved, we don't know what we shall be, the scriptures tells us, but, but when we see him, we're going to be like him. We're not going to become gods, but we're going to have glorified bodies like him, like his bodies that, that won't even sin bodies that won't sin. They won't have a sin nature. Those things that you're tempted with won't even be a temptation for you. They won't even bother you. Those bodies won't even die. Those bodies will not get sick. In fact, it would appear that you won't even have to open a door using your hands because Jesus, he was able to appear and disappear after the resurrection in his glorified body. But he was still able to eat at the same time. They were still able to touch him. In fact, he was still able to cook breakfast on the seashore. 
But this is a glorified, that glorified body was able to float up in the ascension. And so that's just a little taste of it when we look at Jesus' glorified body. My goodness, I, <laughs> I, I, like, I like desserts. I've been having to chill out from desserts, from eating desserts. But every now and then, I confess, I've been cheating. I had a little pie and ice cream on Memorial Day. Okay, so, <laughs> but my mother-in-law cooked it. She baked it, so it's her fault. You can blame her, but, but anyway, anyway. But, but, but think about this. Those of us who are maybe trying to get in shape or stay in shape, wherever you are on that spectrum, you know, maybe there's some health issues you have to watch, and so you can't eat certain things. That won't even be a thing in your glorified body. You, know, you talk about, you know, you, you read and, Revelation, towards the end, chapters 21 and 22, you, you read about the, you know, the tree of life and, and all these fruits. That gives you a clue right there that you'll be able to eat in your glorified body. You'll be able to eat in eternity, but you wouldn't have to. So you're not going to starve if you don't eat, but you can eat. So awesome. And so, with, you know, everything that we see in the scriptures... I mean, I mean, about heaven, about, about eternity, about those glorified bodies, everything that we see about that and we think is so great and awesome right now, because just imagine it's going to be even better when we get there. It's going to be better when we get to that place. And so this, this David, this, this man who was saved in battle, was victorious. You know, some of us, we have experienced that victory over that flesh that's here now, but like I said, that that flesh or that sin nature that's here now, but won't be a part of us when we have our glorified body. He's given us victory. He's kept us safe in spiritual warfare, just like he kept King David safe in his battles. He, he kept us safe. He delivered us even in our tough circumstances, just like he did for David. And by the way, in our glorified bodies, there's no tough situations that we'll have to be delivered from. And so we have so much to look forward to. But picking up in verse 7, it says, And David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hadadezer and, and brought them to Jerusalem. Also, from Betai and from uh, Berothai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took a large amount of bronze. You know, there's a couple of different names there in First Chronicles 18 and 8. Instead of Betai and Berothai, it says Tiphath and Chun. And so you'll, you'll notice that in the scriptures, sometimes things have various names. And so it's not a huge deal. But in verse 9, it says, When Toai, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, then Toai sent Joram, or Hadoram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him. He sent his son, this, this king Toai, he, he sent him to co- congratulate David. Why? Because it says he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him, for Hadadezer had been at war with Toai. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, 
articles of bronze. You know, during my studies, I, I read in one uh, commentary, so I'm not going to take credit for it, but, but there's a little quote here where, where you see uh, a picture of this saying when it comes to Toai and David that, that uh, my enemy or the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And, and so you see that working out here. And so David is the enemy of King Toai's enemy, Hadadezer. And so David is now, of course, his friend. And Toai showed gratitude to King David for defeating his enemy, Hadadezer. And our greater than David, our greater than David, of course, being Jesus Christ, the, the seed, uh, according to his humanity, of David, the Messiah, he too has defeated some enemies of ours. He, he defeated the enemy of humanity. And, and the enemy of humanity, of course, is Satan. And of course, the enemy of humanity is also death. And there's a quote here in, in Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. And here you'll see Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. This is what it says in verses 23 and 24. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So notice that first and foremost in that verse is showing that Jesus defeated death. God raised up Jesus, loosed the pains of death. And notice that it says it was not possible that Jesus should be held by death. It was not possible at all. Because Jesus didn't die a sinner. And the scripture says that the sting of death is sin. And so that stinger, so to speak, has been removed from us because Jesus dealt with the sin issue. And that's speaking of the benefit for us. And so there's no stinger for us in death. Because once again, the sin issue has been dealt with. We are declared righteous by God. He sees us as if we've never sinned. That is because we are justified. We are in a right relationship with him. But when it concerns Jesus in context, as we're looking at Acts 2, verses 23 and 24, if you look at how it reads in the Bible, it says Jesus, that, that for him it was impossible that he should be held by it because he's God. He's God in the flesh. There is no sin for him, and God raised him up from the dead, and so that shows his defeat of death. And so, and so just like how David defeated the enemy of King Toai, Jesus defeated our enemy, and one of them, of course, is death. And then in John fourteen nineteen, and so this is the verse that God accidentally copied over there to Acts 2, but, but here it says, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. It says, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Why is that? Because Jesus defeated death. He defeated our enemy. Our greater than David defeated our enemy. 
And guess what? Just like he had victory over death, so will we. And then you'll see his victory over the enemy, the devil, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. And who was that? Who used to use death as a tool? That is who? The devil. Speaking of Satan or Lucifer. And he says, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And so uh, the enemy devil used to use death as a, as a fear tactic against humans. But for the believer, death is not something that, that we need to fear. The enemy can't use that against us any, anymore because we're no, we know where we're going to spend eternity. And of course, we know that the sting of death, sin, has been dealt with. It's been dealt with. And so now, just like this king, Toai, had became aware of the fact that David had defeated his enemy, had it easier. I wonder how aware are we or were we of this fact before tonight. And I know many of you are Bible scholars, so these verses were just review for you. You already know that Jesus defeated death on your behalf. You already know that Jesus defeated the enemy on your behalf. But, but when we become aware of this fact, or should I say for some of you, when we are reminded of this fact that our greater than David has defeated our enemy, has defeated our spiritual enemy, has defeated death, through how? Through what way? Through his death. And through the resurrection that, that he experienced. When we are reminded of that. When we come into the knowledge of, of his victory. Then we should show gratitude as well. We should show the same gratitude that Toai showed to David for defeating this enemy. And so I have to ask the question. Are, are you showing gratitude? Are you truly grateful when you become aware or when, as you are reminded of the fact that, that Jesus has defeated your spiritual enemy, that, that Jesus had defeated death for you through his death and through his resurrection? And of course, we can show our gratitude just like Toai did uh, to King David. With King David, he gave his resources. And so that's one way we can show gratitude to our greater than David, to our king. We can, we can show gratitude through our giving, the giving of our resources, the giving of our time, for example. We can show our gratitude to our greater than David, the king of kings, by, by our words, through the praise that comes out of our, mind, that our mouths, that sacrifice of praise that the scriptures talk about. And of course, we can show our gratitude to him with our lives, the life that we live. We're not living for ourselves anymore. We're living for him because we're showing gratitude to him. We're, we're thankful for that victory that we have in him, that victory over death, that victory over the spiritual enemy, Satan, through his death, through his resurrection, and so those of us who repented and we put our faith in Christ, we, we share in that victory. We share in the, in the victory of our greater than David. And so are we showing gratitude? Are we showing gratitude to him on a daily basis? And even more so than Toai did for King David. 
In verse 11, it says, King David also dedicated these to the Lord. Along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued. So, so all the gifts that he received from Toai, those articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze, all of those gifts he received, he dedicated that to the Lord, along with the gifts or spoils that he received from those other nations that he defeated, from Syria. And some translations, by the way, uh, instead of Syria, it says Edom, which is corroborated by First Chronicles 18, um, 11, you know, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, those nations he defeated from the Philistines, from Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. So this man of God, this man after God's own heart, he dedicated valuable items from his victories, from his conquest to the Lord. Dedicated them to the Lord. And what would they be used for? Well, let's take a look at 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 51. It says, so all the work that King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And remember that King Solomon is David's son who will be king after him. And it says, and Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the furnishings. He put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. So, so King David wasn't able to build the temple. The Lord didn't have that in his will for David to do, to build that temple uh, for the Lord in his name. But it was for his son, King Solomon, to do after him. But David would dedicate all of these items, these spoils of war, these gifts, these precious metals, dedicated them to the Lord. And here you see that they were put to good use. He put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord, dedicated them to the Lord. And how many of us are dedicating the resources that we gain in this world, in this life to the Lord? You know, those skills, for example. You know, skills are things that you can learn skills. You can be trained to acquire skills. You can go to school to, to gain those skills. But, but then you have talents. And those talents you are, you're born with, God gives those to people. You know, those, those, are, those are above and beyond the skills. Because you can learn the skills, but, but the talent, that is, that is just God-given. No matter how hard you train, you may get better at it, but no matter how hard you train, some people are just way more talented in certain areas than you are because it's just God-given. But then here's the thing, that even people who are not believers have talents, but they don't always use them for the glory of God. There's the people in the world who are not believers. They can, they can sing really well. They're, they're great at singing, but they're not using it for the glory of God. Then there are believers who've been blessed with that talent. They are using it for the glory of God. But then, of course, you have spiritual gifts given uh, via the Holy Spirit. And, and every believer has at least one spiritual gift. But are we using those skills? Are we using those talents? Are we using our time, precious gift? Are we using the, our, our time. Are we dedicating them to the Lord? 
See, David always had that mindset of what can I do for the Lord? Is that the type of mindset we have when it comes to our resources, to our skills, when it comes to our talents and time? What can we do for the Lord? We can learn so much from the man of God here. In verse 13, it says, and David made himself a name or a reputation, or you can say he became famous, even more famous when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians. And again, some translations as well as First Chronicles 18.12, it says Edomites. And Edomites is probably um, the correct reading here if you continue to read the context. And so he killed 18,000 Syrians or you can say Edomites, plug that there, in the Valley of Salt. And then you read in verse 14 and it says, And he also put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons or groups of troops. And and all the Edomites, they became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Again, the scriptures tell us that, that the Lord preserved him. The Lord kept him safe. The Lord gave him victory wherever he, that is David, went. But notice that these Edomites, I want to stop right there and share something with you about these Edomites. Because there I, I see that a prophecy is being fulfilled. It's in the works here. Because we see the Edomites serving David. And David, of course, is the king of Israel. Why, why is that so significant? It's significant and something that stood out to me because um, the Edomites came from Edom. And Edom is another name of Esau. And Esau is Jacob's twin brother, which means that Esau or the Edomites are the Israelites' relative. So, so why is that so significant? It's so significant because in Genesis 25, 23, as Rebecca, Jacob and Esau's mom, you know, she was feeling the struggle in her womb with, the, in her womb with these twins. Um, you know, she was wondering what was going on. And the Lord said to her, said to Rebecca, that there's two nations in your womb. You know, there's Jacob or Israel. And then there's Esau or the Edomites in your womb, Rebecca. And, and these two people shall be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. And so it's pretty cool here seeing this prophecy unfold because the Edomites are serving the king of Israel. And so you're seeing it unfold. So it stood out to me in that manner. So I just wanted to share that with you. But, but, but I also want to share with you um, what I saw in verse 13. And that's the fact that King David became more famous after his victory over the Syrians or most likely the Edomites in the valley of salt. He became even more famous. And so when I think about David, of course, and you know this, those of you who've been here for the study, you've been listening or watching the study. You've heard me say many times that David here is a picture of Christ. And then Christ literally, according to his humanity, but not according to his deity, according to his humanity, would be a descendant of King David, as God promised. So David would always have a king on the throne from his bloodline. 
And so that's why I call Jesus, if you're wondering, that's why I call him our greater than David. And so just like how King David's name became more famous after this victory over the Edomites or the Syrians, our greater than David's name, that is Jesus Christ, should become more and more famous as others see his victory, as others see his work in and through us, the church. In other words, Jesus should be getting more and more glory as people see his work. As people see his success in and through us, Jesus should be getting the glory. His name should become more famous. If the, church, if the church's name is more famous than Jesus' name, if the individual's name is more famous than Jesus' name, then who is really doing the work? That's not what we want. We want his name to become more famous. Verse 15, so David reigned over all Israel and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was commander over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. In other words, he was the royal historian. And in verse 17 of 2 Samuel 8, it says, Zadok, the son of Ahitub and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. Sariah or Shapsha, is another variation of that name, um, was the scribe or the royal secretary. In verse 18, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the Chirithites and the Pelathites. And so the Chirithites were the executioners and, and, the, and them along with the Pelathites, they were foreign mercenaries and they would serve as the king's bodyguards. And so Benaiah was over the king's bodyguards and executioners. And then David's sons were the chief ministers. And so you saw David here with this order within his kingdom. But more importantly, we see that David did what was just and right in regard to God's chosen nation, Israel. He did what was fair. He always did the right thing by God's people. And this is, of course, only a foretaste Only a foretaste of what Jesus is going to do during his kingdom. How Jesus is going to, how he's going to rule in fairness. How there's going to be justice and righteousness in his kingdom. You know, I like what it says in Isaiah chapter 9. Very familiar passage in in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and 7. It says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is is given, and most of the time we see this during Christmas time, right? But this is for all times of the year. So a child is born, so that speaks of Jesus' humanity. But unto us a son is given, that speaks of Jesus' deity. Because in John 3.16 it says, um, you know, that God will give his only begotten son. Jesus is his unique son. He was always there, always existed. For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son. So the son is given. And so right there in, in just, you know, those, that, that part of the passage, you see Jesus' humanity in him being born, and you see his deity in the son being given. 
and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor or it could be read together, Wonderful Counselor. He's the Mighty God. He's the Everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. And it says that of the increase or the greatness of his government and peace, there's not going to be an end. There won't be an end of his government. And and don't we look forward to that? Because we look forward to mankind's or government run by humans. We look forward to that type of government ending. That the junk we see today, that the government we see today, whether it's here or in different Countries, we, we long to see the unrighteousness in because, man, they, I don't care who you put and off, they will not rule perfectly. They're not Jesus. So as long as man is ruling, there will not be a perfect kingdom, will not be a perfect rule. But we look forward to that day. We long for that day where there will be a perfect government. And of course, it says, and there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal, one translation puts it this way, the passionate commitment of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In other words, will make sure that this, what we read here, will be carried out. The the Lord is so committed to his promises. He's going to carry out this perfect government ruled by a righteous king, ruled by a just king who is our wonderful counselor, who is our mighty God, our everlasting father, a prince of peace, a kingdom of peace. It will it will go on forever. The Lord of hosts, uh, the Lord of heaven's armies going to make sure that it happens. It's going to be a kingdom of order. Well, we look, we look forward to that. And as I mentioned before, what David was doing is just a foretaste of, of that kingdom that Jesus is going to put in place. That kingdom that he is going to rule and reign over. But nevertheless, as we get back to David, David indeed was the king of what I would call a thriving kingdom and thriving by the way means characterized by success or prosperity there was definitely a bunch of success and prosperity in this kingdom that David was ruling over the kingdom of Israel a thriving kingdom it was thriving because it was characterized by number one the uh, preservation of David by the Lord it was The king was preserved by the Lord, and no wonder this kingdom was thriving. The kingdom of Israel, this kingdom, this thriving kingdom of Israel was characterized by victory upon victory upon victory. This this thriving kingdom of Israel with King David as the human leader had abundant resources. And then, of course, in this thriving kingdom, there was organization There was order in this kingdom. As we see in those last few verses of 2 Samuel chapter 8. And needless to say, we as believers, we are also a part of a kingdom. We are a part of a spiritual kingdom. 
Oh, we may not see it, we may not touch or, or, or taste anything in that kingdom right now, but, but we are part of that spiritual kingdom. We are citizens of heaven right now. But one day, yes, we will see, we will touch and literally be in that kingdom that is ruled by Jesus Christ. Oh, in that kingdom, I, I don't want to say I promise you. It's not my promise. It's God's promise. That kingdom, as we see in the scriptures, will be a thriving kingdom. Literally for a thousand years. And, and after that millennial kingdom, of course, there's going to be the eternal order, what we call it. Revelation 21, 22, and it will be thriving. So you thought this kingdom and Israel was thriving. Oh, that kingdom that we're a part of and we'll get to see one day we'll be thriving. But, but I want you to see something a little differently today. Because we know that to be true, that yes, we're a part of this spiritual kingdom. I, I want you to look at yourselves individually as a miniature kingdom. Now I want you to see yourself that way because our hearts, which is the core of our being, is the throne from where Christ is ruling our lives. And so in the kingdom or miniature kingdom of our individual lives, as individuals who are a part of the larger kingdom or who are a part of the church, as individuals, this miniature kingdom. Can you say that about yourself, that the Lord Jesus, the greater than David, is ruling and, and he's sitting upon the throne of your heart and he's ruling your life? And as you think about your individual life as, as a member of the church of God, as a member of God's larger kingdom, as you think about yourself as that miniature kingdom, I want to ask this question, is your spiritual kingdom, is your spiritual life, in other words, is it thriving? Is it thriving even more so than that kingdom that David ruled over, the kingdom of Israel? Is, is your miniature kingdom, your spiritual life thriving right now? What does that look like? Well, well in a spiritual life, in our individual spiritual lives or in our spiritual miniature kingdom, so to speak, that is thriving, one thing that you're going to see is that the Lord is doing the work in and through you. In other words, the Lord will be magnified. You're going to see more of him and less of you. In other words, he will be the famous one and not you. The Lord is doing the work in and through you. If your miniature kingdom or individual life, spiritual life is thriving, and so what you'll see as the Lord is doing work in and through you, besides, of course, him being famous, is that you're going to see him preserving or saving you with, first of all, eternal salvation. Uh, but then you have this, this process of being saved, which is called sanctification. And so you are in the process of being saved. Another word for saved is delivered. You are in the process of being delivered or saved from the power of sin on a daily basis. And so as you look into a metaphorical mirror spiritually, you should see more of Jesus' face or reflection and less of yours. 
And so in a life or in a spiritual miniature kingdom that is thriving individually, you'll, you'll see the Lord doing that work in and through you. You're going to see him preserving you, saving you eternally. And in the process of sanctification, on a daily basis, you'll be sinning less and doing more right in his eyes. You'll be experiencing more victory over the enemy and over his tactics. Why? Because the Lord is the one doing the work in and through you in a thriving, individual, miniature, spiritual kingdom. And so in this miniature, spiritual, individual kingdom called Darrell, is this happening? I have to ask that question to myself. But another, another sign that your spiritual life or kingdom is thriving is that you have and you know the abundant resources or blessings that you have in Christ because remember in that kingdom that King David was ruling over, that kingdom of Israel, that he was ruling over, there was a abundant of resources. And no, this is not a health and wealth teaching. I'm talking about spiritual wealth. And yes, the Lord does. He, yes, he's able to bless people with material things. Yes, that is true. But not every single Christian is rich materially, but every single Christian is rich spiritually. But, but in the spiritual life or spiritual kingdom, individual kingdom that is thriving, that is thriving you know this. And, and, you, and you are reminded of those spiritual resources and blessings that you have in Christ. Well, Pastor Darrell, can you just share a few of those spiritual blessings with us? Can you share that with me? You, you, you're just using these generic terms some of you may be saying. Well, first of all, Ephesians chapter 1 tell us that we are, that we are blessed with, with all these spiritual blessings in, these, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yes, we're blessed with spiritual riches. We, we are blessed with grace. We, we are blessed with God's mercy. We are blessed with God's love. We are blessed with his peace. We are blessed with God's joy, joy that comes from him. We are blessed with that gift of redemption. And when you think of redemption, think of someone paying your price. Think of yourself being a slave. You were a slave to sin. And Jesus paid the price with his blood to set you free from that, to set you free not only from the power of sin, but, but he also from the penalty of sin, which is death. So he paid the price to set you free, never to be brought into bondage again. And so that is a gift. That is a spiritual um, thing that we have that we could include under that category of spiritual riches. Well, Pastor Darrell, is there more? Yes, there is, by the way. And you see, we are blessed with the, the spiritual gift of forgiveness. We are blessed with the word of God, which is called the sword of the spirit. And how many of you need the word of God in your lives today? How many of you are blessed to be able to crack open a Bible and, and see the Lord's love letter to you, how much he loves you, what he thinks about you. I don't care what the world says about you. I don't care what that crazy family member says about you. You need to open up the word of God and see what he says about you because God's thoughts about you is what really matters. And we have the word of God. We have his plans for the world, his plans for our life in the word of God. It is precious. And, and that is a spiritual blessing that we have. And it is an abundant resource, a bunch of abundant resources we have in Christ. We even have, by the way, the privilege of prayer. Amen. We have that privilege, that ability to speak to the creator of the universe. 
Oh, we even have that privilege, that blessing of having the Holy Spirit in us, which means that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But are we using the power of the Holy Spirit? It's like having electricity in your house, but, but not plugging in the device. If the electricity's on, the Holy Spirit's there, but are you, are you plugged in? Are you tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to you? See, we are blessed with an abundant, with abundant resources or blessing. We have all of this in Christ. Skills, talent, spiritual gifts. We talked about that before. So yes, just like King David's kingdom was thriving with an abundance of resources, we have an abundance of spiritual resources. That's what a, that's what a thriving spiritual kingdom looks like. And we're talking about us as individuals, these individual kingdoms. And this kingdom, of course, as I mentioned before, speaking of myself, is this kingdom of Durrell. Do I understand these spiritual blessings, these spiritual riches that I have in Christ? And then on top of that, are you dedicating those things to the Lord? All for his glory, even if you've been blessed with material resources. But then then there's there's another point to this thriving kingdom. And we see that from, from David. Because at the end of the chapter, it says that he had all these various people in place. This person is over this, and this person is over that. This, this is the historian and so forth. There was order in that kingdom. You see, in our miniature kingdom, the, the spiritual life that we have, in a thriving spiritual kingdom of our lives, there is, guess what? There is organization. There is order in our life. Brought upon, brought into our lives by the Lord. So in spite of the trials and in spite of the chaos that's around you, oh, the Lord has brought order in that thriving kingdom of your individual life. In the midst of chaos, he had brought you peace. In the midst of chaos, he has brought the order via comfort. He's brought you wisdom in the midst of warfare. In the midst of chaos, he's brought you wisdom, comfort, peace. Help, help in living an orderly life, a godly life, by the way. You have a consistent devotional life. You see that? You see order in a thriving kingdom, spiritual life, individual spiritual life. And then, of course, in, in our spiritual lives, in our individual kingdoms of our lives, as members of his church, there's also order in our lives, when we have this understanding that, that everything in our lives are going to work together for good. But, but maybe, but maybe as I'm going through this lesson, as, we, as we're going over these application points tonight, maybe you, you feel that you don't have that thriving spiritual life or miniature kingdom, so to speak. Maybe your spiritual life is lacking something and, and it's just not thriving. But could it be that you're looking in the wrong places and and could it be that you're not allowing the right king to be in charge of your life? So especially those of you who there's anyone who has not received Jesus Christ as a personal savior and Lord. 
you truly want that thriving spiritual life, I would say repent and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the one who died for you. And I'm not going to say you're not going to have trials as the worship team comes up. I'm not going to say you won't have trials after you become a believer. There'll still be trials. Jesus said as much. He says in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But that tribulation, of course, comes from the world. It comes from the devil. It's not talking about the great tribulation because the great tribulation comes from God. That's God pouring his wrath upon the world, the unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. But, but in this world, we'll have tribulation, Jesus says. But he says, in me, you'll have peace. Oh, he'll bring some order to your life. So, so as a believer or if there's anyone listening or will be listening, you haven't received Jesus and you think that all the trials will go away. I'm not going to make that promise to you, but, but they'll become easier to endure. Amen. And I can say that you'll win more than you ever have. And you'll be more rich spiritually than you ever be. And you'll be more safe than you ever have been then, of course, you'll have more order than ever. And with Jesus, the true king, ruling from the throne of your hearts, you're going to thrive more than ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that there's any of us, Lord, who have not been experiencing spiritual success in our walk or in the ministry you allow us to be a part of. Lord, show us how to correct it, what we need to do. If we're in the way, Lord, help us to surrender. And if there's anyone, Lord, who has not made the decision to repent and receive Jesus, I pray that you remove those blinders, Lord, and draw them to Christ. And for the believer, Lord, who needs to make a recommitment, Lord, I pray that you would draw them ever nearer to you. And Lord, we ask that you bless the remainder of this night. Bless my brothers and sisters who are here with traveling grace. Use them in a mighty way this week. Be glorified this week, O God. And help us to use our resources or whatever you allow us to use. Help us to use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.